0: Welcome to the Vineyard Church of Greater Portland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Mario Mastin. For more podcasts and other resources, please visit www.vineyardportland.org. From the beginning of the year, if you you haven't been around, if you have, you know this: Uh, a short series that did over five, over four weeks on being built together uh, from Ephesians chapter two. With the primary text was there, verses twenty-one and twenty-two. And uh, just the way that God is building his people together and the way that he's doing that for us as a local church. And during that series, I think it was in the third message, there was one aspect of that third message that I want to kind of drill down on this morning and talk about in a little, uh, uh, little bit more detail and in a closer way uh, and apply that to the reality of our life as God is building us together as a church. And that thing I want to speak about is unity, or what I'm going to call unity living. Now, is this on the overhead behind me? Okay, all right, it's up there now. Okay, good. Delayed reaction, it's there now. Um, So, the reality is that the Scripture talks a lot about the issue of unity. Unity is dear to the heart of God, as I understand the Scripture. Both Old Testament and New. And I just want to give you a sample, scripturally, uh, from the, the two... Uh, portions of Scripture, Old and New Testament, uh, that speak to this reality and give the underscore just how important unity is to God. So let's begin with the Old Testament, because that's where it begins, right? And this is what it says in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12. And we often cite this in relationship to marriage Uh, relationships and of course there needs to be unity there but it has a much bigger application than just that this is what the writer says in Ecclesiastes 4 9 to 12 two are better than one because they have a good return for their work if one falls his friend can help him up but pity the man who falls and has no one to pick him up also if two lie together they keep warm but how can one keep warm alone Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Amos 3.3 says, do two walk together unless they've agreed to do so? Then in the New Testament we read this, Matthew 12.25, Jesus says this, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. Parenthetically, it might be good if our country recognized that. Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. Division is the antithesis of unity. When there is no unity, you will find division. And Jesus says where there's division, there's ruination. Then in his prayer for unity for the church, for his people in John 17, his great high priestly prayer, Jesus said this, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one, so that they may be one, as we are one. And then he continues in that prayer. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. There is a connection between the world believing that the Father sent Jesus. And unity or oneness Among his people. Those who believe on his name. There's a direct correlation between those two. As I understand the prayer of Jesus right here. I have given them the glory you gave me. That they may be one. As we are one. I in them. And you in me. May they be brought to complete unity. Now I put these phrases in the upper of this phrase in, in the upper case, as I have with one, in order to emphasize the reality of what Jesus is emphasizing in this prayer. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know. Here it is again. The knowledge of the world is about the revelation of who Jesus is, is connected to unity and oneness among his people. Complete unity to let the world know that you sent me. And have loved them even as you have loved me. Now those are just a few verses from the Old and New Testament. That speak to the reality that unity is important to God. It's dear to God's heart. Howard Snyder in his book The Community of the King says. The Bible insists that there is but one God. That God the Trinity is one and all that exists comes from his hand. So unity is not just something that God uh, considers to be important and that it's dear to his heart. Unity is something it's at the very center of the essence of who God is. Unity is the visible expression of the invisible triune God. Who enjoys Perfect oneness in his threeness. There's no such word as threeness, but can't think of another way to say it. He, perfect oneness, exists within the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is a threeness. Three persons who are indivisibly one. That's what's distinctive about Christian theology when it comes to this understanding of who God is. The idea that there are three Persons who are indivisibly one. There's a perfect unity in who God is. And the unity of the church and among God's people should be a spiritual expression and demonstration of the reality that's true of God himself. So this is not just some abstract theological truth about god this is something that is to be manifest among his people and that means us and that means every local church it means every group of god's people now you know i've been quoting in this series and i'm going to quote at least three times today from bonhoeffer he's one of my uh i'm one of his fans um and he says this, because he has so much to say about a lot of things, but especially Christian community and church life. And he says, Christian brotherhood, and I would add sisterhood, is not an ideal which, it, <coughs> which must be realized. Rather, it is a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. God is look, not looking for us to create unity. Unity is something we receive from him in Christ. And now we must, by faith and obedience, participate in that unity that God has brought us into in Christ. Not only with Him, but with one another through the Holy Spirit. It's this reality of unity in Christ, of the unity of the church, that I want to think about for a little bit this morning. And to really get what this looks like for us, and how we participate, how we enter into it. So it's not just an abstraction, but it becomes a part of the way that we relate to one another, the way that we do church, the way that we relate to the broader body of Christ, so that we can be what Snyder calls the community of the king. I want to look at a passage that is probably well known to some of you, to others it may not be, and it's found in the Old Testament, and it's Psalm 133. And this is what it says, and I'm reading in the NIV. How good and how pleasant it is when brothers... And that phrase is being used, I'm using that generically, right? That includes all of us, ladies. How good and how pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. How good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil poured on the head running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robe. Robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Now this particular song was sung by the Levites in temple worship. It was sung as a responsive expression of worship. A song called a halal. The Levites would chant or sing the phrase of the song. In other words... They would chant or sing how good and how pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Then all the worshipers would respond, hallelujah. Let's try that. Let's try it, okay? So imagine I'm a Levite. Got the beard. I've got the oil. I'll talk more about that in a minute. And I'm the Levite, right? So I'm going to chant this out, and then you're going to respond, hallelujah, as the people of God. So how good and how pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Hallelujah. There you go. That's cool. I like that. I like the responsive thing. (laughs) Now, the psalmist uses here two vivid images to convey to us what unity looks like. And how good and how pleasant it is, and what it means to, to, to experience God's blessing. And the first of those he uses is the anointing oil. And that uh, was used for ceremonial purposes, uh, and it was comprised of olive oil and sweet-smelling spices. And that amazing oily concoction, the Levites, uh, when they led worship. This oil would be poured on their heads. And it symbolized the spirit of God. And in fact throughout scripture oil has that connotation. It's a symbolic representation of God's presence and God's spirit at work. And it produced like a pleasant aroma. That would fill the temple. And as the psalmist makes clear... The oil was abundant. It wasn't a little bit. It was like coming down in abundance. It ran down their heads onto their beards. It flowed onto their garments. It was bountiful and it was sweet. Now, I've got to tell you, like I'm talking to the guys right now, ladies. Uh, unless you're growing a beard, but uh, you probably aren't. So I'm talking to the guys right now for a second, just a little time out. And it's gonna turn into a little bit of a promo too. There is nothing like oil on your beard. If you have a beard, there's nothing like oil. Now, our daughter, Heather, lives in New York City. She's very cool, it's a cool city, there's a lot of options there, and every Christmas she always buys me a very thoughtful, cool gift. And two Christmases ago, she bought the same gift for my two sons, for James and Alexander, as for me, because they have beards, they have major beards going. More than mine. Uh, and what she bought was this amazing stuff. It's Prorazzo from Firenze. Firenze being Florence in Italy, right? And she got us each this amazing kind of tin filled with all these things, these treatments for your beard. And in it was a beard wash, beard oil, beard balm. I didn't even know these things existed. <laughs> and get. Get ready for it. This is the Tour de Force Hot Oil Treatment. Yeah. And um, so I've been experimenting with this stuff. In fact, I put the beard oil on this morning. Oh, just, you know, massage my beard. Does it look good this morning? Yeah. You should feel it. It's so soft. And if you get close, you're going to get that. It's wood and spices aroma. Now, ladies, you better not get too close. My wife may not be comfortable with that. Because it's like irresistible, this stuff. (laughs) Come on, Jim. Go on. Give it a little rub. Does that feel good or what? Oh, Herb, come on. Oh yeah, you could really use it. So what this stuff does, I mean the hot oil treatment is so cool. You put it in you put it into so you don't boil the water, you put it in hot oil. You leave it it's in a little vial and then you take it out and you just you damp your beard ahead of time then you rub it in and you just leave it there for a while. I did this the other day, did I not? She came in, I had this big towel on my face afterwards, I was just <laughs> leaving the oil to seep in, get into the roots. And uh, it's really cool. So anybody wants to find out more about that, see me after the service, okay? (laughs) I'm not on a retainer. Honest, I'm not. But what it does is it softens, it strengthens, and it scents the beard. And I'm thinking, you know, as I was doing this the other day, I thought, I mean, this may be a bit of a stretch, but work with me on this. I thought, that's kind of... What the Holy Spirit does. The presence of the Holy Spirit kind of softens the heart of God's people. Work with me here. It strengthens us. I'm going to talk more about that in a bit. And and there's an aroma, the aroma of Christ in our life. Now that's a pretty good illustration, isn't it? Good. Okay. Let me move on. So, uh, the second thing that the psalmist refers to here, symbolically, is the dew on Hermon. And he says, I, I mean, Hermon is this mountain ridge, and it straddles the border between modern-day uh, Lebanon and Syria, and it's the tallest point uh, on the east coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And it's covered in snow much or most of the year. And it actually is a source for the Jordan River. Now, the heights of, Mer- uh, of Hermon provide this refreshing, Cool in the heat of summer. And although the Jew in the reign of Hermon, they don't actually reach Zion, which is speaking of Jerusalem, there's this poetic picture here of it doing just that, in a sense of it satiating the city with life-giving water, the Jew of Hermon. So these are the two images he's using here to convey the idea of the good and pleasant reality of unity... And God's blessing among his people when it's present. So I just want to zero in on that for a few more minutes this morning. The first thing then is unity living is good. He says how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Notice at the outset of the psalm, he's not talking talking about a geographical place, even though he uses the symbol of uh, Mount Hermon. He's talking about a relational state, not a geographical one. He's talking about us being in unity with one another. That has to do with the nature of our relationship with one another. What he first calls that good place uh, is a place of living together then in unity. He's saying it's good when God's people do that. Those related to one another in Christ through the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters in Christ share a unified life. We talked about this in the series that we just went through. They live together, and God calls us to live together in unity, in oneness. Now, the word good here means just that. It means good. It means something that's desirable and something that's pleasing. Every church community, this one included, is a community belonging to the King, Jesus. And As such in every church, including this one. It's pleasing and desirable to God when the rule and reign of Christ in a group of his people is expressed through oneness among them and unity. Because after all, Jesus is the head of the church, right? And if he's in perfect unity. With the Father and the Holy Spirit and has prayed that for his people. And walk that way before his people. That's what he desires among his people. Paul writing to the Romans. Talking about the reality of the kingdom of God expressed Said the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So that good place where we hang out together in unity. Is a community of righteousness. It's a community where Christ. Has justified each one of us by his grace. Amen? We haven't justified ourselves. God did that for us in Christ. He has made us that were not righteous, righteous in him. A state of being now in a right relationship with God. And that should transmit, here's the connection, that should transmit to us being in a right relationship, not just positionally or theologically, but but experientially with one another. If we're going to live in the good place of genuine unity, we have to recognize that truth. We're not here because we achieved something. We sang that beautiful worship song this morning with the refrain about how long God had carried us in his faithfulness. I was thinking about that this morning as I was worshiping and last night we did that song too. Just the faithfulness of God to carry us. We didn't get here on our own. And we're not gonna get where we're going on our own. It's God that's gonna do that in us through his faithfulness. Another Bonhoeffer quote here. He says, it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. Amen. It's grace, nothing but grace. You know, sometimes, truth in advertising here, this is true of me, and I know it's probably true of you sometimes, we don't appreciate that living with one another in community is a grace. Sometimes we think it's a pain in the butt. But the truth is it is a grace and it's because of God's grace that we're in this relationship with one another and sometimes we need to have the scales removed from our eyes so that we can see and appreciate that and who one another is in Christ and that we can't do this thing and God doesn't desire for us to do this thing alone it is a grace and nothing but grace when we realize that the ground of our fellowship is As a community of righteousness is Jesus and his grace that's justified us. Then when we really realize that how we relate to one another does begin to change. How we treat one another begins to change. Instead of competing with one another which divides we encourage one another which unifies. Instead of looking out for our own interest we do what Paul says in Philippians 2. And we look out for the interests of others. There's a change in our attitude and in our action. Instead of pursuing our own agendas. And calling it God. Which leads to divisive factions as happened in the church at Corinth. To whom Paul had to write that corrective letter. We step into the agenda of God which unites us together. And we start rooting for each other and recognizing that God's called each one of us to play a particular part in the scenario of His purpose. And we want to root for one another within the church and then among the churches. Because we're not in competition with any other church. We're here to cooperate with them. We're, we're here to play the part God's called us to play. As they are there to play the part God's called them to play. But we want to root for them. And we want to do it from the heart. So that it's genuine. When this happens. We begin to spur one another on. I talked about this a little bit. Uh, briefly in one of the messages in that series I just did. Um, where Hebrews 10 the author says, "Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward loving good deeds. We need one another to spur one another on to loving good deeds." And he says, "Let's consider how we can do that. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let's not undervalue the importance of gathering together as the people of God, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching this is a place where God has called us to be together and he's entrusted us with grace to help one another in the journey to encourage one another to spur one another on when we spur one another on when we encourage one another The Spirit's refreshing presence is released in our midst. And that's what I believe Psalm 133 is pointing to. And that kind of oil that he referred to, the Holy Spirit's presence, the dew of Hermon, that refreshing, renewing presence, and being in the body of Christ then becomes a good place to be because God's presence is here. The Holy Spirit is refreshing us and nourishing us. The second thing he says is basically that unity living is pleasant. How good and how pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. So it's not just good to be together in unity. It's pleasant. It's actually a pleasant thing. And if you're ever in the midst of... Of a congregation where there is an absence of unity and there is division it is a thoroughly unpleasant experience many have been through that at some point in the journey with Christ it's a thoroughly unpleasant thing but where unity is present where oneness is present the psalmist says it's a really pleasant thing now remember as I said before this is not about geography this is about relationship The word rendered pleasant here has got an interesting connotation to it. On one level, it means pleasant. It means something that's charming, something that's congenial, something that's delightful. But it also carries this interesting connotation. It has the idea associated with it of singing, of sweetly sounding and musical. I'm thinking about that this week. In other words, living together in unity is not only a delightful state to be in, it's like a sweet-sounding song or a musical score that evokes God and resonates perfectly with His unified life made known amongst His people. What a beautiful image that is. What a thing to consider that, that oneness and unity is like a sweet song. It's resonating in the body of Christ with what's true in the Godhead, within God himself. You know, there's nothing like, uh, at least I think, other than putting oil in your beard, because I already said that once, there's nothing like oil in your beard, right? So I guess this is the second thing there's nothing like but if there's a second thing there's nothing like then the first thing can't be the only thing there's nothing like anyway. (laughs) Um, I'm just realizing that now. (laughs) So there's nothing like listening to a song or a piece of music that you haven't heard in a while. It has they talk about music being the universal language. I can listen to a song or a piece of music typically a song. And that I haven't heard from a while. And it has the capacity through memory and just resonating with my spirit to transport me back to a time, to a place, to an experience, to a situation that may be 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. I'm old enough to be able to say that, unfortunately. (laughs) But it has the power to do that. Anybody experienced that before? Come on. Yeah, be honest. It has that kind of power. This is how it is with the pleasant nature of the unity of God's presence. There's a resonance that takes you into another place. When we're in a place of unity with one another and oneness, it's like it transports us into the domain and space of God Himself. Because we are experiencing and we are expressing what's true of God. There's a resonance between us and Him. It's a beautiful thing. It's a sweet thing. It is, in that sense, a spiritually melodic thing. It's pleasant. It's pleasant to see. It's pleasant to hear. It's pleasant to observe it. And it's pleasant to participate in it. And what comes with that is great joy. And we are supposed to be a community of joy. We are, as followers of Jesus. We're not supposed to be morose. We're supposed to be a community of joy. What God spoke through the prophet Zephaniah about his people Israel is a prophetic picture of how he feels about the church, I believe, you and me. And it provides a model for how we as his kingdom people should live. And this is what God declared to Zephaniah. He said this, the Lord your God is with you. Think about that this morning. The Lord, your God is with you. I refer that back to what I shared about that word of faithfulness that Jim had toward the end of worship. If you're going through a season right now where you're questioning the faithfulness of God, I want you to know, and He wants you to know, He is with you. but He is with us as a people. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. Our God is not a wimp. Our God is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. And here it is. He will rejoice over you with singing. That's the kind of God that you and I have. That we're in relationship with. One who's mighty to save. Who delights in us. Now, the enemy of our soul would tell us that God does something other than that. But that's a lie. God delights in us. Now, he doesn't delight in everything that we necessarily do. Because we're a work in progress, right? Right? Sometimes there are things we do that God doesn't delight in. But that's not what it says. It doesn't say he delights in our actions. It says he delights in us. In who we have been made to be through his son and in his son. He delights in you. And he will quiet you. When your mind is racing. When your spirit is agitated. He will quiet you with his love. Which is steadfast and unfailing and constant, and He will rejoice over you with singing. I love that imagery, that picture. The truth is that God finds being in relationship with us, having reconciled us to Himself in Christ, a really delightful thing. He's not putting up with us, He delights in us. It's a really pleasant reality. And the joy he feels is expressed in the song that he sings over us. I believe God is singing a song, as it were, over every single one of our lives. He can't contain how he... Like, when you burst into song, if you ever do that, spontaneously. Don't spontaneously combust, but spontaneously burst into song. It's usually because you you can't contain yourself. Right? And that's, I believe, how God feels about us. About all of his people. When we live in unity with one another, delighting in one another, rejoicing in one another in the church, the church really becomes a pleasant place to hang out. It really does. Because then, instead of criticizing one another which tears away at the fabric of the body of Christ whether that happens within a local church or between churches criticism always tears away at the fabric of the church and usually when it's done it's not initially done openly it's usually done in secret and then eventually it manifests into something wicked instead of criticizing one another and tearing away at the fabric of the church we make life pleasant And instead of producing a discordant note of division, there's this song of unity in the church. And what happens then? We strengthen one another. When we celebrate each other, when we cheer for each other, when we rejoice for each other, then the joy of God's presence fills the new covenant temple of the church. I hear often people talking about, I want to see the glory of the Lord. And then they don't walk in the kind of basic unity that God requires for his anointed presence to be made known. They want some experience but won't pay the price of walking in the unity that God calls us to. You will never get the glory of God if you're not willing to walk in unity with your brother and sister in Christ. It just will not happen. You'll get some fake experience that gives you an emotional high, but you will not experience the reality of what God is talking about here in Psalm 133, what Jesus prayed for in John 17. And God will settle for nothing less. And we shouldn't either. We're His kids, we're His people. I want that sweet aroma. Of the anointing of God's presence to fill this individual temple and to fill this corporate temple. Speaking to God's people, Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. When we're in this place, that's so pleasant as well as good. There's a joy released among God's people. The joylessness goes with the division. And in its place, there's a unity that gives this joy. You know, Paul writing his joy letter, which is the Philippians letter. He says this, in all of my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. How did Paul feel about those he was in relationship with in Philippi? He described them as my joy and crown. That is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. There's a connection here. Between unity, joy, and being empowered. Paul's saying... It is in the partnership the partnership joy he shared in the church with those in Philippi that enabled him to stand firm he is saying that their concern for him caused him to rejoice and that in that joy he realized he could do all things through Jesus who strengthened him the point is being strengthened by the joy of the Lord becomes more than a phrase it becomes a reality when we're one with one another when we're committed to this kind of unity community life where kingdom joy is ruling and reigning strengthens us for the journey when it's absent so is that strengthening that we need for what it is god has called us to do and last but not least in this psalm unity living is blessed he says For the Lord bestows blessing, even life forevermore. The good and pleasant place of living together in unity is also a place of blessing. It's a place where the Lord bestows his blessing, and that's described here as life forevermore. Now, I believe that's more than just... What he's saying here is more than just, you know, the fact that when we die physically uh, we're gonna be in God's presence and we're gonna live eternally with him that's true but there's something much more practical and now about what's being said here when it comes to God's blessing the church that is intentional about living in oneness and walking in unity that Jesus prayed for in John 17 is a church that will know experientially now the favor of God not just then The word blessing here is associated with the idea of receiving a gift. When we live together in unity, God's favor gifts us with something that's absent when believers don't walk in unity. And you know what that is? It's peace. Practical, sustainable, powerful peace among us. And this doesn't mean, let me just say this right now, it doesn't mean there won't be distinctives Uh, In given churches and between churches. We're talking here about unity not uniformity. Not everybody's going to look and act the same way. It doesn't mean that there won't be differences. We're not always going to see things the same way. We're going to have different perspectives. We have to work through that reality. That's part of life in the body of Christ. And sometimes to be frank. Because we're sinners our stuff gets in the way. But notwithstanding any of that, the truth is, we can choose unity living. We can choose to live that way. And it is a choice. To go back to Bonhoeffer, it's a choice to participate in that which God has already made a reality. But isn't that true in our journey with Christ in just about everything? We've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus, in the heavenly realms, as we heard last night. That's the truth of our positional reality. We've been given so much in him. But our experience is conditional on our faith response and obedience to that which God has given to us. It's the same when it comes to this. Ephesians 2.14 says, For he himself is our peace. Who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier of the dividing wall of hostility. We are a community of peace in Christ. And where oneness and unity are present, so is peace. And how is that manifest? It's manifest in the commitment whereby we serve one another. The word unity in Psalm 133 conveys the idea of being together and living uh, along with others. But also the idea of being close in proximity. Meaningful unity has a lot to do with proximity. Walking things out together in life. And Paul says we're to serve one another. Galatians 5.13. That doesn't mean we don't have appropriate boundaries. We do. It doesn't mean you sublimate your individuality. We're not saying that either. Okay. Just putting that out there. But we are called to be in proximity with one another. That's part of the reason the writer of Hebrews says don't give up meeting together. You need to be in proximity with one another. If you're really going to live out this oneness unity thing that God prayed for in John 17 from the lips of Jesus. The church is to be a community of peace, a place of blessing where God releases into our midst. That reality, you know, Peter. A couple of weeks ago in that series, I read the passage in John 13 where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. In the lead-up to that, Peter is the guy who says, No, you don't need to wash my feet. He's talking with Jesus. And, and, and Jesus he basically said, You don't need to do that. And Jesus said, Yes, I do. And that same Peter later wrote these words in his first letter. He writes this finally all of you live in harmony with one another. That's another way of saying be one with one another be united together with one another live in harmony with one another be sympathetic. Love as brothers be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. So that you may inherit a blessing. For the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore, the psalmist says, in connection with unity, in connection with harmony, in connection with oneness. And fast forward, here's Peter writing his first letter and he says, Live in harmony with one another. And then at the end of this series of sentences, he says, Do not repay evil with evil, insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. If you and I want to inherit a blessing, if we want the favor of God on our church, we must be committed to serving one another. And here's my last Bonhoeffer blast. In the community of the Spirit, there burns bright the love of brotherly service. Agape, God's unconditional love. That's to burn bright among us. So that's it this morning. Psalm 133 tells us this. Unity living is good. It means living together in a community of righteousness where we spur one another on. Unity living means it's pleasant. It means living together in a community of joy where we strengthen one another. We don't just spur one another on. We strengthen one another for the journey. And lastly, unity living means being in a place Where we're blessed by the favor of God. It means living together in a community of peace. Where we serve one another. You know when we do that. And when we strive to do that through the Holy Spirit. Something's released. It's like we're saturated with something. It gets everywhere. Not just our head and the collar of our tunic. It gets all over us. And that's called the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's called the presence of the living God made real among us in our relationships between us. And Then church life is good and it's pleasant. All right, let's stand. So I just want to invite uh, those that are on the ministry team to come up this morning, give people an opportunity to receive prayer. And as they're coming up, let me just let me conclude with a simple prayer here first, because we need God's help and grace to live this. <laughs> yeah, it's, n- it's not an automatic thing, is it? You know, it's not going to come through the power of positive thinking. It's going to come through the enabling of God's grace, released into our lives and our relationships with one another through the Holy Spirit. And I think all of us really desires that. So, Father, we thank you this morning that being together in unity, something you have made real for us in Christ, is a good and pleasant thing. Lord, help us by the power of your Holy Spirit through the presence of your grace in our lives personally and in our corporate life collectively to walk in the oneness that Jesus prayed for, Father, in his high priestly prayer so that we may be one As you are one, so that the world may know that Jesus came from you, Father.